Welcome to episode number 20 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we're looking at creating a global community around workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust and powder materials. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and in today's interview, we're having a discussion with Arped Vares, Managing Director of EXNB Certification Institute out of Hungary. Arped's got a, a, a long and detailed background in hazardous areas and explosion protection within Europe, within the Middle East. And in today's episode, we're talking about certification, certification of equipment and certification of personal competencies for hazardous areas or X areas as we, we use in the episode quite a bit. Uh, this is part of what EXNB does. They are certified through ISO to deliver personal competency training to certify equipment. And ARPEG gives a lot of really great information on how this process works. This is a follow-on interview from episode number 15 that we did with Michael Merrington, where he talks about the international explosion protection system a bit. And this starts to delve into some of those topics more deeper and is aligned with our, our goal this year of understanding combustible dust as a global challenge and seeing where we can take the, the good things that are happening elsewhere in the world and the information that we're achieving and how we can use that throughout the world, either in North America and Canada and what things we're, we're doing here that can be used elsewhere as well. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode with ARPED. I found it really interesting and I learned a lot, so I know you will as well. I want to say thank you as always for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. And I'm really looking forward to you listening to today's episode. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's interview, we're having a discussion with Arped Vares, Managing Director of EXNB Certification Institute. Arped, we're really happy to have you on the show today. Um, my name is Arped and uh, I'm greeting. Excellent. So Arped's got a, a really long career and experience in hazardous areas worldwide. The EXNB is based out of Hungary, but he has a lot of experience within Europe, within the Middle East, looking at hazardous areas, looking at explosion protection, um, and specifically a lot of on the certification standardization side of things. So I want to get him on today to, to really add to the conversation that we had with Mike Merrington back in episode 15 of the podcast, where we talked about IEC. EX system and how the international hazardous area system works. Um, so that's really the reason for getting ARPED on today. So ARPED, maybe we'll start with, with talking about what does the EXNB Certification Institute do? Thanks for asking. Um, EXNB Certification Institute, uh, that's an ATEX notified body. You mentioned before just uh, IECX. Uh, the ATEX is a, is a kind of similar, let me say, directive, and uh, that's a mandatory issue for manufacturers uh, in, uh, within Europe, okay, European community. And uh, for that special reason, notified bodies are approved to certify equipments, electrical and non-electrical, and uh, to get them certified uh, for uh, the safe use in uh, possible hazardous environments. And we are one of the notified bodies listed. Our number is NB2684. And uh, we can assess and certify electrical and non-electrical equipment installations, systems, and uh, protective systems. And when you say there's a, there's a big difference there between this electrical systems and non-electrical systems that are our listeners within... North America may not be as familiar with. Can you just go into that a little bit more and explain what that means? That's a very tricky, um, let me say, saying, uh, electrical and non-electrical. The main difference uh, here is the source of uh, ignition, okay, coming from 
electrical source or non-electrical source. Electrical, you might uh, understand as a switch, like the two contacts uh, are flipping to each other. Or let me say a non-electrical, where, for example, a pump is just um, delivering from one point to another uh, a liquid due to the transfer, okay, due to the mechanical uh, interfere, interference, uh, just uh, it becoming a, a source of ignition. Okay? And according to the directive, which is, again, mandatory here in uh, the European Union, it shall be certified okay, according to ATEX. And on the non-electrical side, is that relatively a new consideration or is that something that's just being looked into more now or how, how long has that been around for? The first ATEX directive came to the market in uh, 1994. Even that time it was saying electrical and non-electrical ignition sources shall be considered by the user of the equipments. Okay? And uh, just uh, around 2000, uh, we received the very first uh, standards. Uh, that time it was the EN uh, 13463, which was uh, defining um, uh, the relevance of non-electrical uh, ignition sources and defined possible protection layers, protection methods for non-electrical equipment. Nowadays, uh, we do have the ISO, which again, very interesting because ISO is, is just uh, the, the highest level of standards. The ATO 79, uh, 36 and 37, which is about non-electrical explosion protection. And it defines uh, various protection uh, methods uh, for uh, the users and also for the uh, notified bodies to make all non-electrical installations uh, certified. Okay, that makes sense. And maybe switching gears and even backtracking a bit, we we had Mike on on a previous podcast episode and he was able to share some insight on this, but maybe getting it from you would be helpful as well. From my understanding with the international system, there's a, a big divide between certifying the equipment and then actually certifying the the individuals or the people that are involved. Can you can you dive in and explain that a bit from from your perspective? ATEX and IECX, uh, these are all related uh, to, to international standards like uh, the EN, like the IEC standards. For electrical equipments, we do have uh, the series uh, of uh, 6079, IEC 6079 standards, and uh, the slash 14, slash 17, slash 19, speaking about personal competence. Electrical equipments, non-electrical equipments, which are used in potential hazardous environments, okay, they shall be installed, designed, specified, uh, even operated or maintained or, let me say, repaired by EX competent people, okay? So actually, that's not a demand, okay, not a mandatory certification. It's uh, written in the standard. And the standard says, that's very interesting, proof of evidence shall be delivered that uh, one who is doing work on site is competent. And uh, in terms of competency, another aspect is that uh, competency is a further education. Okay, so not because of the co- uh, this EX competency, uh, you are a good technician, you are a designer, or let me say a supervisor or an inspector. But uh, because of that, you can do your job in a potential hazardous environment. But again, 
any kind of equipment which you are dealing with shall be certified. Okay, so there, it's a two parallel level of, uh, let me say, certification or proof of evidence we are talking about, because uh, the one equipment which is on site shall be certified, and who is dealing with shall be competent. So kind of with that system then, EXNB does both certification of equipment and certification of, of personnel, is that, is that correct, or personal competency? Oh, yes, we do. But uh, that's a very interesting case because uh, you are approved as a notified body for the various modules of uh, the ATEX product certification. Okay. And if you are approved uh, against ISO 17024, which is the international standard of personal competency certification, then you can certify, assess and certify personal competency. And EXNB has a very interesting, uh, let me say, uh, legislation. At one side, we are approved as a notified body, okay, for uh, the ATEX certification. And on the other side, we are approved against ISO 17024 to deliver assessment and certification of personal competency and uh, our subject and uh, let me say scope is the hazardous environment so we can assess and certify all people involved in hazardous area activities yes so and maybe i'll I'll restate that a bit for the listeners um, on the the iso side so iso 17024 is the conformity assessment for certification schemes. So groups like EXNB or any other groups that want to do certification of competency need to also have, need to have that certification or be able to provide that training or be able to provide that material um, so that the individuals that are taking that can then be certified. And then they would be certified against IEC 60079 and usually-14-17-19 which would be for, I think, technicians, um, maintenance personnel or designers, and supervisors. Does that sound like a, the, the correct summary, Arpet? Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe one more adding. Please. Uh, dash 14 stands for uh, installation, okay? Kind of greenfield installation, okay? The Dash 17 stands for uh, operation and maintenance, and the uh, Dash 19 stands for repair, okay? And uh, all around, the EX personal competency is just um, the main topic, okay? Because you need to be competent to do installation, you need to be competent to do maintenance, and also you need to be competent to deliver repair, let me say, activity. And I would would agree, you should be competent to do all those things. So that's a a good way to, to look at it. It makes a lot of sense. Sorry, one, one more adding. Uh, the ISO 17024 says that uh, the body shall be independent from training. Okay, so actually ISO 17024 is just only about uh, assessment and certification. That's also a very interesting case. Not many are reading it really precisely. But 17024, that's only about assessment and certification. 
Okay, so EXNB then would provide the material, but against that ISO standard, you can't actually provide the training. You'd need some sort of training provider to do that? Uh, yeah, uh, we do not do trainings. Uh, we do only the assessment and certification part. We do have uh, training providers, okay, uh, who are dealing with their own material or they are using ours. And at the final stage, at the end of the day, uh, we do the assessment and certification based on the levels you have mentioned, like technician, like supervisor, like designer. And certainly, the very interesting point here, we should also do a kind of differentiation regarding electrical and non-electrical personal competencies. And when I'm looking at your, your website here for exnb.eu, I see issued certificates for products and then issued certificates for personal competency. And then they would have they have that information here. So, um, for example, we have we have an individual that's a certified supervisor, another one that's a certified technician. Is that that is that part of the the standard scheme as well that you could come on and actually look up uh, a person who's certified in each area that you want? Let me say um, the best interest uh, of any end user or employer who is looking for employees or subcontractors. Uh, having that kind of competency, that uh, they have a place of evidence uh, where they can uh, check whether this kind of certificate is uh, a correct one, not uh, a cheated one, a false one, okay? And uh, that's why we have created uh, this kind of uh, page where you can look after. But on the other side, that's also a mandatory point, okay? Both, I mean, all notified bodies should uh, have a list where they uh, actually display all the certified equipments under their notification. On the other side, also ISO 17024 requires the assessment and certification bodies um, uh, just uh, to give a list, okay, to display all the names uh, accordingly. Certainly, currently in Hungary, you know, the GDPR doesn't make it easy. So we need to sign, uh, we need to make all the people sign uh, this kind of information that they agree on publishing. Yeah, and the reason I, that's a good point about GDPR. I didn't actually think about that and how, how that might impact the sharing of, of certification and competency. But the, the reason I want to bring that up is that in a couple of, of interviews now that we've done previously on the podcast, talking about things like dust hazard analysis in North America, um, on episode number seven and a number of other episodes looking at that kind of material. One, another example is episode number 12 with Jason Reason. One of the complaints is how do you know the person that you're getting into your facility to do a DHA is actually competent and actually we don't really have a certification scheme, but at, at least in theory is certified to be providing that DHA. And that's a, a thing that keeps coming up with these dust hazard analysis, both what is what is a competent person? What's that definition? And then how do I know as a facility owner that I'm getting a competent person? And kind of having this master list that you can search through seems like a, a possible way to solve that problem. So it's just it's kind of interesting to see that the international system has this in there. And then the the North America colleagues are are actually saying, well, we, we kind of need something like this to be able to to see who's competent. Oh uh, let, let me make here a differentiation. On one side, you will display as a notified body, as a notified body of personal competency, 
uh, all the attendees, all the successful attendees, uh, on, um, just uh, at, at the page you mentioned. But on the other side, uh, uh, the end users face a very interesting situation. Let me say, if I'm one subcontractor applying for a job um, at uh, a facility, I do have uh, a certification of any international brands, okay? I mean, EX personal competency. It can be Exum, it can be any, any other, okay? There are uh, good names on the market. But uh, this uh, training, this assessment and certification was uh, two, three years back. How can I uh, be sure that uh, this kind of uh, guy standing in front of me still competent, okay? Because the standard and all the brands, all, all the uh, international uh, players require five years refreshment, okay, of uh, this kind of competency assessment. But what happens in between these five years? That's a very challenging question. And uh, just let me announce, uh, for, for that special reason, uh, we have created a kind of online tool which uh, more and more uh, end-user facilities uh, apply for, uh, where, uh, with the help of this tool, they can immediately check uh, the knowledge, the actual knowledge uh, of the one applicant uh, standing in front of them. And um, uh, I will send you the link later on. This tool is a, is a very, just a 10 minutes tool, okay? It's like a test, uh, which uh, really, let me say, provides information about the, the actual status of the knowledge of the one applying for the job. That makes sense. And, and here in Canada for professional engineers, the way that we treat it is you need to be, every year you need to sign off and say you've done so many hours of, of work in your field and that you've went out and tried to educate yourself further and prove that you're, you're still you know, working in your area of specialization. I think maybe there's some overlap there, but then actually for the the end users to be able to prove that it sounds like a a good tool and we'll we'll definitely get a link to that tool from our pet included the show notes um today's episode is episode 20 of the podcast so we'll be at dustsafetyscience.com slash 20 um you can look at at that material our pet i think a good a good kind of transition point now might be to talk we talked a lot about the international hazardous areas systems the difference between certifying equipment versus certifying personal competency how a, a certified body like exam might fit in and what some of that looks like. One thing that we, we really maybe should have brought up earlier on in the, the podcast, but we'll, we'll bring it up here for completeness is, is there really any difference between gas explosion hazards and dust explosion hazards in the international system? Um, a lot of our, the audience for this podcast obviously are, are involved in combustible dust handling and processing. And in, in North America, there's very specific combustible dust standards and, and engineering guidelines on the international system is, is there is there a big difference between gas and dust explosion or or how does how does combustible dust fit in let, let me say interesting question uh first of all it doesn't matter where you are okay you are in canada you are in in hungary or or let me say in, in, the, in the middle east uh both uh ethylene natural gas uh, or sugar or, or cocoa powder or whatever will explode. Okay, but, uh, there shouldn't be any difference. In the ATEX world, okay, Europe, I mean, uh, it's a mandatory issue. 
If you look at uh, the IECX certification, they also certify uh, both gas and dust applications, let, let me say. So in, in that way, uh, I don't see really uh, a difference there. Certainly, in many cases, especially if the country doesn't have a systematic approach uh, for, for the, how to avoid the danger or what kind of certification method they follow, it, it can lead to confusion. But the uh, dif difference between gas and dust hazard in terms of certification, okay, I don't see. It's a must-have because uh, in, in none of the environments, uh, it's good to have a possible ignition source. When you told me that uh, we will have this podcast, uh, this today, I mean, uh, we do. Uh, I do have a training. I'm, I'm the trainer, and uh, I just ask uh, the students uh, give me one hour uh, lunch time. So now we are the lunch time, and uh, and uh, just uh, before coming here, um, I, I was uh, addressed with a question: Is a drone? danger uh, does it mean does a drone mean a danger uh, in a possible hazardous environment and uh, uh, I feel uh, here the same meaning of the question okay so not any ignition source can be installed in a possible hazardous environment and the possible hazardous environment can be both gas and dust or let me say, in many cases, like we already agreed previously, can be a mixture of both, okay, like especially pharmaceutical. And again, uh, like let me say a drone. Uh, is a drone um, electrical equipment or a non-electrical equipment? That's a very interesting um, question. And certainly it is uh, electrical equipment because you will have uh, accus, uh, you will have uh, engines there, okay, but on the other side, you will have rotors, uh, you will have uh, some kind of mechanical parts as well. But if you certify all of them together, okay, as one equipment, then you come to an electrical equipment, okay? So, so again, back to your original question, sorry, I was going too far. There shouldn't be any difference. Your first comment was, was the one that really kind of hit the nail on the head for for me is it doesn't matter if you're in Canada, if it doesn't matter if you're in the United States or South America, gas explodes and and fine powdered material dispersed in the air that's reactive also explodes. So the fact that we have different standards and different, you know, man-made setups and, and approaches that we use. Only the environment is changing because it, it's not the same uh, environment like if you are in the desert or you are uh, on top of the hill. Or uh, in Das Valley, okay. So it's a it's a different environment, but still the same um, commitment, okay. Certainly, yeah, I agree. And I, one other thing I wanted to, to touch on because we talked about before the press and record in the episode, and you mentioned training a bit with with uh, your students. Is there any training that's provided for equipment manufacturers if you're designing, um, say these these drones or even these switches? Is there are there some important things to consider there when you're you're actually training the people that are making the equipment that are going in these installations? Very interesting point because uh, according to those standards, dash 14, 17, 19, you don't need to be competent if you are a manufacturer because uh, your competency, let me say, will be measured by the certificate, okay, given for 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 your product. So as long as you don't leave your premises. 
You don't need to be EX competent. But on the other side, you, you have to have the highest level of knowledge of your product also in terms of explosion protection, which means you, you need to be, let me say, on the same level uh, like a notified body. Let me say in the last uh, few months, last uh, year, we have done, uh, we have delivered a lot of trainings to manufacturers, especially for the reason, you know, you know in Europe, uh, there are a lot of shifting, shifting of productions, etc. So how to um, up-to-date the recent knowledge uh, of the product and how to make it uh, uh, more secure and uh, more effective reproduction also, the manufacturers should be trained, and not only which, um, let me say, aluminum cast to use, etc., or which methodology to drill in, but also in terms of explosion protection. In the last two days, uh, I've been to a manufacturer in the, a neighboring country um, in, uh, in Hungary, that was Austria, and uh, that was very interesting. Uh, we have uh, trained uh, a company, not mentioning the name, but providing um, uh, pressure switches, okay, so kind, kind of small equipments. And uh, it was very interesting to see the people because they, they never believed that uh, their equipment is coming to a potential hazardous environment uh, and what kind of uh, outcomes it may, let me say, cause due to non-functionality, okay? And uh, they, we all agreed that, that uh, this kind of knowledge is, is a must-have uh, even for those guys who, in terms of research and development and production, are on the highest level for their product, okay? And uh, we, we, we have received very interesting feedback that uh, they, they learned a lot, which they never believed they, they uh, should have had before. Yeah, that's a good example. I never thought of that. If you if you're creating, say, a switch that goes in goes in the hazardous environment, I'm sure you can get your your certification on it. But then there's a couple of questions around, you know, the percentage that don't function correctly, or even if you're making changes to your your design. And if you're that the manufacturer, you may not think it's a big deal. Um, if one in a hundred, or one in a thousand, or one in ten thousand, whatever the the rate is of, of non-functioning switches may not think it's a big deal that may not function correctly and actually spark or have an arc. But if you were actually trained in hazardous areas, then you would, you would know that, you know, if you saw a demo of your switch igniting a, a gas or dust explosion, you'd be a little more aware or a little more thoughtful about how that process goes. Very interesting. Uh, all our trainings, we start with one common phrase. First, your product, your installation, shall be EX and then functional. And most of the guys are very surprised because you know, all, all we are engineers. You are engineer, uh, I am engineer. And uh, I do believe that most of the listeners are engineers or, or let me say technical guys. And we are pretty much prepared for functionality, okay? We like uh, things moving, uh, giving some kind of output, but if you are, part of the hazardous uh, environment and this kind of uh, goods, then uh, explosion protection is the very first grade, okay? And uh, if your lamp is not EX, then it cannot function, okay? It cannot give light. 
Uh, and the same is true for a compressor or a dust collector or anything installed in, in a possible hazardous environment. So first EX and then functional. Yeah, I like that. First EX and then functional. I think that's a that's a really good place to, to end off this conversation. And we'll uh, let you get back to your training. I didn't realize it was over your, your lunch break, but I do appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your wealth of knowledge with the listeners of the podcast. Um, I really look forward to the chance of having you you on again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, greetings to all. And um, it was a pleasure again to be part of your podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Arpet. I appreciate it. That was a really interesting episode with Arped, and I learned, uh, again, as I always do in these interviews, quite a bit more about the international system, how that works, how certification looks like, and what a, a certification institute like EXNB might do. And I really liked the, the way Arped left it off with uh, the, the equipment should be X-rated first and then functional, and that really kind of goes along the lines of it should be safe first and then the process functional. So safety is really at the forefront in hazardous areas, in um, understanding fire and explosion hazards and the impact it can have on people. But the material that we're using, the equipment that we're using must be safe first and then functional. I, I thought that was a really great way to end this episode. Any of the materials that we we discuss, the resources will be available in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 20 for this episode. And if you're enjoying this material and want to help grow the podcast, please go rate and give us honest review in iTunes and that'll help uh, get the, the material out to more people. And also feel free to, to share with your friends, share the information that we're putting out or, or links to what we're doing. And as we, we really go down the road of trying to make our community feel a little bit smaller through these interviews. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the, the podcast episode this week. And I'm really looking forward to talking next week with another explosion safety expert from around the world. <laughs>